Thanks, Christy. And thank you, Kayla. That was uh, awesome. And uh, I know, I think there was some coloring pages that were sent out. So kids, um, this is your opportunity. You can do your artwork. We'll get you to hold it up at the end. We want to see uh, what you drew. Or just maybe some of you adults who have uh, great artistic skills. This is your chance to show it off. Uh, it has been a week, eh? How's everyone doing? It feels like so much has changed so quickly. And I'm sure like you uh, or like I have, we've been kind of running the gauntlet emotionally, trying to figure out what's going on, what's happening. Uh, we find ourselves glued to the news, constantly consuming, seeing what's being said, or what latest updates about everything. And we have these feelings of fear and concern. Maybe it's for ourselves or for people that we love and we care about. For, for some of us, it's concerns about our jobs, our livelihood. For some people in our community, we know that you are wrestling with the question, how are we going to make ends meet in this uncertain season? And then there's some of us who, who are wrestling with questions around but that kind of almost seem insignificant. Like we almost feel guilty for having them. It's like, I'm going to be stuck at home with my kids for I don't know how long, how are we going to make it? <laughs> And regardless of whatever it is you're feeling, I simply want to take this time to say it's, it's okay. It's okay that you're feeling that way. It's okay if you're wrestling with big, massive fears or if you're wrestling with guilt because you have these fears, but they seem kind of insignificant when viewed against the backdrop of everything else that is going on in the world right now. It's okay. And you are not alone. And we Together, as a community, we're going to get through this. Uh, maybe the bigger question we need to be asking of ourselves and of our church is not so much the question of, are we going to get through this? But, but rather, what kind of people are we going to be when we come out on the other side of this? Uh, because these kinds of experiences, they can move us into isolation they can cut us off from one another. They can make us focus on our fear and on our own self-preservation. Or, or these can be opportunities where we open up our hearts and our lives to God and to one another. Uh, we can use this experience. I believe God wants to work through it and through this to make us more like Jesus, that, that we can become more generous, more, more self-giving, to, to dig deeper into who God is, into his word and into prayer, and to learn what it really means to trust him in the midst of the challenges that we are facing, both as individuals, as a church, and as a world. Uh, this morning, I want us to kind of be able to, to move back to talking about what we were talking about throughout this Lent season. We're going to go back and we're going to talk about Sabbath. And this term Sabbath has suddenly actually kind of had a bit of a renaissance in, in, immediately in our culture as people work is closing down and people are going into self-isolation and quarantine. And so this idea of Sabbath is not just something churches and Christians and, and Jewish people are talking about, but it's actually a term now that other people are beginning to talk about in our culture. And the thing that I think is kind of telling about our society is that it takes a global pandemic for us for, for to see kind of life as we know it to come to a grinding halt to make us actually go hmm maybe this sabbath thing is something we should probably take seriously and my hope for us as a church uh, not just us but the church globally that we can be an example of what it truly means to rest 
and what it means to use this space and this time where maybe your life isn't as crazy as it would typically be, or maybe you aren't caught up in as many different activities and things that you're doing. Uh, and this is a season for you to be able to take a step back and reevaluate, hey, what kind of life do we want to live? And, and what do we want to put in place so that when we come out on the other side of this, this is what the rhythm of our life looks like. And at the same time, I also want to acknowledge we have people within our community who work in healthcare. We have nurses and doctors, people who are involved. They're right on the front lines. And for you, it, things have just been ramped up. This is not a season of retreat and isolation. This is a season of where you are very much needed and it's busier than it's ever been before. What does Sabbath look like for you during this season? This morning, I simply want to talk about a term that I think is used a lot in our culture. And I think it is a term that we need to address when we talk about Sabbath, and it's simply this word, busy. How many of us have had an interaction with someone, a conversation with someone, and we ask them, hey, how are you doing? And the response is, busy. I know that I've had those conversations. I know I've said that. That's been my answer. How many of us have found ourselves in interactions with people and we go and we ask them, it's like, oh, wow, how's that new job or that new role or how, is, how are things going with, with all the things that your kids are going on? It must be so busy. And it's fascinating to me that this has become a legit response to that question. Because at what point in time did our response for what the quality of our life looks like become interchangeable with the quantity of things in our life? When did our schedule suddenly become an answer to, hey, how are you doing? And I would simply argue this, that despite our complicated relationship that we have with busyness in our culture, in our world and in our lives, the feelings like, oh man, sometimes I feel overwhelmed or frustrated. And, and sometimes we know that our schedule, our busy, just add another thing to the week or the day is something that is actually kind of killing us inside or it's being destructive in our relationships and the things that matter most to us. And yet at the same time, we don't stop. We don't slow down. We keep going at the same pace and rate. And the reason why I think this is, is I think that we live in a culture that sees busyness as a virtue. It's something that we should strive for. It's something important. It says something about who we are. Because if you're not busy, you're lazy. Or if you're not busy, you're missing out. Or if you're not busy, you are not giving your children the experience that they should be having. We very much see busyness, even amidst all of the frustrations that it generates within us, as a virtue, as something that we should strive for. And I think there's kind of three main things that drive that. Uh, the first one is, I think, that we are busy because we are dealing with fear. I remember a meeting I had with someone a little while ago. We were talking, and he was on his phone, and he was looking at Instagram. And I remember kind of being a little bit annoyed and frustrated about that. And so I just sort of said, kind of as a joke, but kind of serious, I just said, hey, I'm right here. You don't need to text me. 
And, and his response said, sorry, uh, I, I'm dealing with some serious FOMO right now. Uh, as, I was kind of like, a FOMO what? What? And his response was FOMO, F-O-M-O, fear of missing out. This idea that there is something else happening and I need to be a part of it. And as our lives have become more and more connected by that device we carry around with us everywhere we go, and the fact that we are constantly able to be updated on all of the exciting, awesome things that are happening in other people's lives, we have this anxiety within so many of us of, oh, I should be doing that, or my life needs to look like that, or I, man, that's happening, and these people are here, and I need to be a part of it. Or maybe it's, oh, their kids are doing this, we need to be doing that with our kids too. This idea of missing out. And what a profound indicator to the busyness in our lives is that so much of it is driven not by the pleasure or joy that those different things that we're filling our lives with brings to us, but rather the fear of what happens if we don't do this, if we're not a part of it a part of it if it passes us by and we never get to experience it. I think fear is a huge thing that drives us. The second thing I want to say is I'd say this we're obligation. We feel like we have to do things. This is just the way the world is. We have this limited time to be alive. You need to go and get a hold of everything you possibly can, have as many experiences as you can. You need to take life and just squeeze it out and take everything from it that you can. And if you don't, you are missing out. And this is something that you are obligated to do. But I think that actually what underwrites this is something even more profound. I remember a conversation uh, that uh, there's a pastor named Pete Scazzaro. He's written a book called The Emotionally Healthy Church, Emotionally Healthy Spirituality. And he talks about this conversation he was having with a man in his congregation. This man, he was working nonstop, very much like the, the term workaholic was appropriate to describe him. And it was destroying his marriage, and it was destruct, destructive in his family, the relationship he was having with his kids. And this pastor, Pete Scazzaro, he comes to this man and he says, uh, and basically the man comes to him and he says, my kids and my wife, they don't understand. I'm doing this all for them. And Pete's response was, so what you are telling me is that if you didn't have a wife and if you didn't have kids, you wouldn't be doing all this? And the man was honest. He said, well, actually, no, my life would probably look exactly the same. I would still be working just as much as I am now. And Pete kind of woke up this man's assumption that, oh, wait, I feel like I'm being driven by obligation to care for, to provide, to pursue the best for my family. But really what was at that was something deeper. And I would just simply say it's this fear or this desire that we all have for significance. We want to be meaningful. And so we fill our lives with all sorts of stuff because we think it means it gives our life more meaning and value and it makes us more worthwhile as people. Because when it comes down to it, I think all of us are wrestling with this. We, we all want to matter. We all want to know that, that our lives 
matter, that, that we have value and worth. And, and so often in our culture, the only way that you can show that you matter or that your life has worth is by doing a whole lot, by being busy. And so this morning, I want to talk about Sabbath. Uh, we've talked about it being about delighting ourselves and God setting aside time to delight. But, but I want to talk about it as practicing slowing down. What could Sabbath mean for us when we choose to get off this treadmill, which feels like someone is just pushing the increased speed button over and over and over again? What if we do? We choose to live in a different way where we are not driven by the same fears and obligations and quests for significance that motivates so many of us. And instead, we live differently. Where, it's not, where we take 24 hours and say it's not about jamming it as full of stuff as we possibly can but instead to really use that time in ways that are meaningful and significant and don't come from this place of increasing our worth and value, but rather allow us to rest and knowing that our worth and value is not something that we can earn ourselves, but is something given graciously as a gift by God. There's this amazing song Psalm 139, and it begins with this, uh, the, the psalm, psalmist writes this, you have searched me, Lord, and you know me. You know when I sit and when I rise, you perceive my thoughts from afar. You discern my going out and my lying down. You are familiar with all my ways. And so the psalmist begins with this observation, this awareness that uh, God knows me intimately. Uh, and, and just is, is aware of what's going on in my life. If you continue to read in, read through the psalm, which I encourage you to do either on your own or with your covenant community, there's all these different things that the psalmist points out that God knows. He talks about God, this God knitting the psalmist together in the womb of his mother, knowing the amount of hairs on his head, knowing the, the neurons that are firing within his brain, every thought, every action that this God is aware of. And that this God loves and delights in his creation. In a way, the psalmist takes this creation story in Genesis and individualizes and personalizes just the same God who delights and enjoys in this act of creating the universe and the world also delights in you. And this is before any accomplishments, any achievements. This is before your resume. This is before you look back on your eulogy and think, wow, look at all the things that this person did and accomplished in life. This is just simply a God who sees you and knows you and loves you. This is a God who says you matter before any accomplishment, before any achievement, regardless of what your legacy looks like. And the words to search and to know are these words, uh, these Hebrew words that kind of just like investigate or dig deeper into, to, to pause and ponder on. It is not this quick, active, frantic busyness kind of, oh, got to search this and know this and be all that. There is this calmness to the psalmist song. This idea of this is something that's not just happening instantly and instantaneous, but it's rather something that flows out of a relationship and a journey that happens together. 
I love how the psalm ends. It actually, this beautiful poetic ending to it where he, where the psalmist takes what he said at the beginning and kind of reiterates it. And it closes off in verses 23 and 24. The psalmist says this, moving from a place of awareness about who God is and what God has done and moves into this place of invitation. The psalmist writes, search me, God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. See if there's any offensive way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. And so the psalmist moves from this place of awareness to this place of invitation. God, I want to share and walk through life with you. There's not this franticness, this needing to earn anything, this need to deserve something. It flows out of this intimate relationship that can only come with a long, deliberate, a long, deliberate, slow journey. And so my invitation for you, is there time in your week where the schedule gets pushed aside? Where, where all of the different things that you have going through your head and going through your day planner and going through your task list, those can be turned off and you can go and just be present to God. And you can experience the joy and delight and rest that comes in knowing that you are his child. I want to conclude by giving you a resource. I think this is a, a powerful tool that we as Christians can use. And maybe this is something that you can begin to carve out some time in your Sabbath day to use. Uh, and hopefully it will be something that, that will help you cultivate this search me and know my heart relationship that we can have in God. This relationship that is driven or is rooted deeply and firmly in a confident rest. It's called the daily examine. And uh, there's a couple different ways that you can do this. It's, it's an ancient Christian practice, but I want to walk you through kind of the different things. And essentially, it's just prayer time of prayer, meditation, and thinking. You can do this while journaling. Uh, you can do this just quietly to yourself. But, but take some time. Or maybe this is something that you as a family, you sit down together once a week, and you walk through this together. Uh, and it starts off with this. You begin it with just simply asking God to help you see your day or your week with God's in the same way that our psalmist writes search me god and know my heart uh, and lead me in the way everlasting this is this prayer just god open up my eyes to see my week my life the way that you see it and after you've done that sit and rest in that for a little bit and then the invitation is to give thanks because god is amazing and creative and deserves all sorts of praise then take some time after that to review the day or the week, whatever it is. Think through all the, the different experiences that come to mind. You don't have to do this detailed analysis of everything, but, but what emotions, what feelings, what, what experiences start to come to mind as you think about all that you've done or all that you've experienced? Is there hurt? Is there pain? Is there joy? Is there excitement? Is there fear? Where are you at? The next thing that as we review our week and we think about it or your day, uh, to transition into a time of, of just acknowledging or facing your shortcomings, your sins, your failures, where are the places where you didn't trust when you know God was calling you to trust? Uh, where were you allowed yourself to fall into despair? 
where were places where you realized greed consumed you or, or you felt this draw or addiction to make yourself more busy? Where are the places where you've sought affirmation and significance and things that are meaningless and don't actually matter against the backdrop of eternity? And then finally, conclude your time with this, with excitement, with looking forward to the day or the week that is to come. And invite God to open up your eyes to see it as another opportunity, not to earn his love, but to walk with him in his love. And that God would make you aware of his presence as you go about your day. Life doesn't have to be the treadmill. It doesn't have to be this nonstop going, going, going. There's a better way to live. And Sabbath opens us up to this incredible truth that busyness does not make our lives more meaningful. In fact, there is nothing we can do to make our lives more meaningful. Our meaning and value and worth flows entirely from the creator God who loved us and knit each one of us together in the wombs of our mothers. And so would you go into this week, not frantic, not frazzled, not, oh, I need to do this and accomplish this and be all of these different things, but rather to experience the peace and joy that comes in knowing we worship a God who invites us to slow down and rest in him. I simply want to conclude with this other verse from the Psalms. Psalm 46, the, the psalmist uh, talks about uh, the wars and these quests for significance that so many, often men, but women too, have. Uh, and these desires, hey, we need to secure for ourselves some sort of legacy and to live a meaningful life. And yet the amazing thing is, is God speaks into that chaos and that drive and says, be still and know that I am God. Sabbath is an invitation to cease, to rest, to set aside time to live with a deeper awareness of who God is. Don't let busyness get in the way. Let me pray and we're going to continue to worship together. Heavenly Father, we, uh, we thank you that you are uh, just so gracious and loving. And in the midst of, of our addiction to busyness, to, to feeling this need and desire to have to do more because we think it means that we are more, uh, Lord God, we thank you that you did not create us for that. Uh, we thank you that, uh, that you love us in all of our successes and all of our failures and in, in the midst of all of it. God, help us to rest in you. Would you help us to be a, a community that is able to truly rest and to find our significance, not in our accomplishments, but in you alone. In the name of Jesus, we pray.